Father, it is an absolute privilege to be able to preach your word. But Lord, before we can preach it, to be drawn into your presence and reminded of your grace, reminded of your love, reminded, God, of your truths, God, through song. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way you draw us in. And God, and when your spirit moves, the way it brings sin to the surface, God, not to hurt us, but to clean us. Because that's who you are. God, I pray right now before your words preached that my heart's clean, my mind's clean, thoughts are pure. God, so that I can just be a vessel today. In your name we pray, the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Good morning. I am uh, glad to be here today and been looking forward to this for some time. And um, I, uh, Kenny's not in here, so I can say nice things about him, right? Um, but uh, I do love your pastor. I do love his heart, his heart for ministry, his heart for what God's doing in, in Oxford and in Calhoun County and, and how he wants to um, pre- present a place uh, for people to be drawn into the presence of God, and I know that's his heart, and you do too, and so um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity just to be here today to preach your word, okay? Um, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. I want to take you to a very familiar passage of Scripture. One of the things that I love to do when I preach is challenge people to memorize Scripture, and if I was going to challenge you to do that today, it would be these verses, Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3, and here's why, is because I believe God's Word clearly teaches us that if we hide God's Word in our heart, we may not sin, right? That's... That's what the Bible teaches us. And so memorizing Scripture is hiding God's Word in your heart. It's, it's storing up weapons for war. And uh, so, man, I challenge you. When Jesus was, was in that battle in the desert for 40 days, um, what did he use as a weapon? Scripture. And we can't use it if we don't memorize it. And so I challenge you to do that, and I always like to say that when I preach. Um, but uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a kind of familiar passage um, I'm at the place in my life where all my heroes are, are, are getting to that place where they're retiring. Um, um, uh, Gary Ragsdale, my dad, is a pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church. I hear him say all the time, he's, he's, he's looking at retirement. I, I hear Rick Reeves, uh, my uncle, I, he's looking at retirement. I hear um, Willie Rice, who, is, who is, uh, used to be a pastor in Anniston, the first guy that ever let me fill his pulpit when I was 15 years old. Uh, he is now... Uh, the president of of the, of the Southern Baptist Pastors Convention was once the president of the Florida Baptist Convention. He is one of my heroes. I hear him say all the time, he's looking at retirement. But at the same time, here's what I hear them say. I want to finish well. That's their heart. That's the place they are. They want to finish well. But here's what, I, here's, here's what God has convicted me about is that they didn't start planning to finish well when they started looking at retirement. It started years ago, when, before they were my age. They started planning. And here's, here's the problem, is that most people in our churches today, we look at the sins that are going on in our world and the sins that are destroying homes and destroying churches, and we look at those sins and we go, that 
could never happen to me. And when we say that could never happen to me, it is like drawing a bullseye on our back. Because the reality is we're all one step away from stupid. And if we don't do everything in our power possible to walk in the presence of God and protect ourselves and allow the Spirit of God to work in us, to make sure we are, we are allowing the Spirit of God to correct us and refine us so that we can protect ourselves from the enemy's attacks, if we think it couldn't happen to us, we're a prime target. And so I, I, I think today God has convicted me to preach this message as much as possible, but, but specifically here today, I feel like God's saying, you know, we must, as the church, realize that we've got to set up barriers around our homes, around our lives, around our kids, and say, God, protect us. I want to finish well. But there is, a, there is a calling on each one of us, a responsibility of what we need to do. And so that's, that's where we're going today is that, that I believe God's calling us to finish well. So I want to preach to you today a message entitled, Naked and Afraid. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses. Now, why does that say that? And you know the corny preacher saying, all preachers have their little corny statements, you know, they make. And, and, and here's that word, therefore. And when you see the word, therefore, you see what it's there for. Yeah, all preachers kind of use that corny one. But, but, it's, but it's a good, good one to remember. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 is what it's referring to, therefore. Hebrews chapter 11 is... The, the, the hall of faith, and it's telling us men and women who've lived in faith, uh, and it's referring to those as this huge crowd of witnesses. And it says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross disregarding shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart or and give up. I have a friend of mine who's a runner. I'm not a runner. I think you can look at me and tell that, right? Uh, I'm not a runner. I, you know, if I'm running, you better run too. You know, something's after me, right? And, uh, I, that's just not my thing, and I know uh, Joe, Joe runs 30 miles for fun. When they go on vacation, everybody else gets in the car. He just runs there. You know, I don't know. Uh, some people just like to run, but not me. But I have a good friend of mine. His, his name's Philip Hartsfield. Many of you know him. He's a, he's a runner. He loves to run. And um, one of my other very close friends, a guy named Chad, he, he loves to run. But <clears throat> we were at youth camp several years ago, and, and they were going to get up and go running in the mornings, and they would beg me every day, Greg, go run with us. And I'd be like, I'm not doing it. I'm not running. It's not fun, you know. And, and they would say, come on, you, you've got to go run with us. And I'm like, I'm not running. I mean, I mean, Philip's probably six foot four. Chad's probably six foot three. I'm five eight when I stretch, you know. Um, and, and, and so when they're running, for, for every one step they take, I got to take five. That's not fair, right? And so um, I, we, we, they finally talked me in the last morning getting up and going running, uh, there in Panama City, and so we leave Laguna Beach, and we take off running, and, and I'm doing all right, um, but about a half mile from where we started, 
was a donut shop. So I stopped in and got me a dozen donuts and just walked back and said, forget this, right? You know, I mean, that's just running's not for me. It's just not my thing, but uh, I enjoyed my donuts. But anyway, uh, and I think the Holy Spirit was in that more than the running. But, but in, the, in the Bible times, in the Greco-Roman world, when they're talking about, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, run the race, he's painting a picture of the Colosseums that they were in. You've seen the pictures of, of that t- t- part of the world where they had these huge Colosseums and, and these, these games went on, these Olympic-type games went on at the bottom of this Colosseum. And in those days, in the Greco-Roman world, the runners would run naked. Now, I don't know, I know when we think of naked, we go, oh, he said naked. You know, I mean, you know, that's kind of the, the mindset we have. It's just kind of weird to say, but, but that was what they did. And, and you've seen, you know, you see these guys now who, who ride bicycles and run. You've seen the outfits they wear, right? I mean, you know, it's skin time. My high school football coach, uh, uh, Gerald Shaw always tries to get me to go ride bicycles with him. He's like, he's like, come on, Greg, go ride bicycles with me. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, Coach, I, I'm not going and riding with you. I've saw the outfit you wear. You've got experience. That means you're riding in front. I'm riding in back. That's not a good view for me. You know, I'm just, I'm not into it. You know, and uh, you know, I, I, you've seen. Why do they wear these skin tight outfits to whether they're running or riding bike? And you know, I guess it's aerodynamic. I don't know, but. But in the Greco-Roman world, they didn't have those outfits. They wore nothing. And the reason why is because they wanted nothing that could hinder them while they were running the race. Now, we want to say, get that picture, but then we go, no, I don't really want to. But the reality is, the Bible is painting that picture to us that that these runners, when they ran in this Greco-Roman world, when they ran... They, they, they removed all hindrances so that nothing interfered with them in the race. Um, the word naked appears several times throughout the Word of God. But each time the word naked appears, it's appearing with the image of being intimate with God. And, and we get that image when we think of the word naked, we think of more intimacy with a spouse but what God is, the, the intimacy with God is in the same way that a spouse and a husband know each other intimately. It means that they know each other in a way that no one else should. When the Bible speaks of intimacy with God, it's speaking the same terminology. Is that we ought to know, as believers, we should know God in a way that no one else does. In the book of 1 John, the word know God is mentioned some 28 times. And the whole time he's mentioning the word know, it's not the word just knowledge, no. It's the word experience. It's the word of intimacy with God, of having a deep relationship with God. But in the church today, the average person's relationship with God is very surface. It's very, oh, I'll come and raise my hands. I'll come sing some songs. I'll listen to the preacher. And as long as he's funny and he's passionate and, he, and he's entertaining, I'm good. I'll come back. And that's about the depth of the average person coming to church. We don't see people coming in and going, man, teach me today how to know God. 
Teach me today how to deeper my walk with God. What is it in my life that that, that preacher's gonna say that needs to bring the sin to the surface in my life so that I can wipe it clean, so that I can be more intimate with God and know God in a way that I didn't know him when I walked through those doors this morning. That's, That's what God wants out of believers. And it's the reason why so many people are walking out of the church and never coming back. And you hear, well, somebody hurt my feelings. You don't think Jesus got his feelings hurt on the way to the cross? That's the most pitiful excuse we can find today for not going to church. But the reality is, it's because people don't come to know God more. They come so people will know them. First thing I want to bring out today is that the reason why so many people are getting out of the race, so many people are quitting on God, so many people are not finishing well is number one, is they've lost the church. People of the church have lost sight of true confession. You see, the word confession means to agree with God. That's what it means. Um, it says here, it says, throw off anything that hinders. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 and 24, uh, the psalmist says it this way. He says, God, search my heart and point out anything in me that offends you. You see, we live in a culture where everybody's worried about offending somebody. You know what? The word of God's offensive. It cuts, and it cuts deep. And the reason why so many people are walking out of the church, walking out on their families, walking out of of places and being disobedient to God is is because they're they're not seeing true confession for what it is. True confession is agreeing with God. It is saying, God, I hear what you're saying about my life, and I'm not gonna make excuses. When you walk into your children's room and you find them doing something wrong and you go, what are you doing? And they go, well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. You didn't know you wasn't supposed to take that Sharpie and draw on the wall? They knew that. But in in our mind, we think if I can convince you that I didn't believe it was wrong, then maybe you'll look past it and everything will be okay. And we do God the same way. We justify what we're doing as if we go, well, I didn't really think it was wrong. You knew it was wrong. You see, only in America could we take something God said in black and white and make 50 shades of gray of it. You know what I'm saying? But in our culture, And in the church, we've done such a good job of covering sin that we've quit confessing sin, and now sin is running rampant. You see, what's sad is, I think one day the church is going to answer for this. We have taught people it's more beneficial to you to cover your sin than it is to confess your sin. Recently just got text a link to a story done by CNN of a professor that I had for one class when I was at New Orleans Seminary. 
that professor's name got exposed on a little thing called the Ashley Madison list. And that professor thought that it was easier and better for him to take his own life than to bring it to his family and admit what he's done wrong. He left a letter apologizing, talking about how horrible it was. What it, and it is a horrible thing. And, 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 and a lot of people got hurt in that. But here's the reality of that. Why has the church taught people that it's easier and better for you if you'll take your life or you'll cover, figure out a way to cover your sin than to confess it? That is the opposite of who God is. God is a God of grace and mercy. And he's not a God who covers sin. It doesn't benefit me and you in our life to just cover it up and pretend it's not there. You know, God wants us to bring it to the surface because he is a God that wants to wash it away. And he can't do what he does until we do what he's calling us to do, and that's present it to him. And say, God, I'm a, I'm a man of filthy rags. I'm a sinner I have failed you. I have, I have messed up over and over again. And God in my culture says just hide it and pretend it's not there. But God, I know so that I can be intimate with you and run this race we call life and finish well. Then God, I've got to present it to you and let you wash me clean. Because God, that's what you long to do. And that's what you sent your son to die on the cross so that you could We have lost sight of true confession. If we were to take time, we don't really have time to go there, but in Genesis chapter 3, remember the story of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were naked, right? But the Bible says that, that um, they, were, they were intimate with God. They were naked. You know, there was no shame. They were naked and unashamed. Put this verse on the screen. It's Genesis 2.25. It says this, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now I don't know about you, but when we think of the term naked and standing in front of the mirror, no shame is not what comes to mind. You know what I'm saying? We're, we, we're going we're gonna to close the blinds, cover it up, cut the light. You know, we're, we're, we're going to do everything we can because shame is, is what we feel, right? The, the reality is when Adam and Eve sinned, the shame set in. And the Bible says the first thing they did was they ran and got some leaves and began to try to make something to cover themselves because what they feel in the midst of their sin is we got to do something good enough to make ourselves feel better about what we just did. That's our culture. That's what's happening in the church. Instead of saying, God, I messed up. We try to do more good than we do bad to cover what we just did to make ourselves feel better for our shame. But the reality is God calls out to us in the same way he did Adam and Eve. And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Do you think God was really playing hide and go seek? God knew exactly where they were. And he knows exactly where you are, where I am. But what God wants is for me and you to say, God, I'm right here. I've messed up. You see, what we spend more time doing and more energy doing is trying to cover up our sin 
in either justifying it or hiding it. Instead of saying, God, look at, listen, I, I preach all over the place. Today, I got to preach in a church that's lively, great music, a, a church that, that's got a good heart for ministry. But, but just a couple of weeks ago, I was off in the country preaching somewhere. and It wasn't like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, not going to put him, but it wasn't like this. But, but, you, but, I, but I, I, I preach all over, and here's, the, here's your mind. The altar's not being used in the churches anymore. You, you don't see people getting on their hands and knees. And I had a class in seminary, and it was, there was probably 65 guys in there in a room that probably fit 45. You know what I'm saying? And we were shoulder to shoulder. And my professor... David Platt, many of you know him. He's, he's an incredible man of the word. David Platt would start that class, and he'd say, all right, before we start, everybody find you a place, find you a piece of carpet, and get on your face. And you got a bunch of men, sweaty men, you know what I'm saying? Stinky men. And we, we, we're going to get on our face, and we just get shoulder to shoulder. And before we even start the class, let's get on our face. We don't, we don't teach that. We don't see that in average churches. And you, you may see it here, and that may, I may be speaking a foreign language to you because you see it. I don't know. I don't know. But the reality is the average church doesn't because we've lost sight of true confession. Quickly, I think, look, look at this verse, Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Look at this with me. It says, but forget all the... All that is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? For I am making a way in the wilderness, a stream in the waste. Let me tell you this story and I'm done. I, several years ago, I had a friend of mine that I met for lunch about once a week. He was another youth minister. Um, and... <clears throat> I, uh, we would meet and we would talk about struggles in our life. And just, he was my accountability. We just confessed stuff, what's going on in our life. Hey, man, will you pray for me in this area? Will you pray? That, that was what we did. Well, we got busy and it, it went from being once a week to once every other week to once a month to, to we wasn't meeting anymore. I changed churches, went to be in a church, at a, a youth minister at another church. And I got a phone call one day and they said, hey, Greg, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. And they said, uh, uh, you're friends with so-and-so, and they called his name, and I said, yeah, and they said, have you read the paper? And I said, no, I haven't. And they said, well, and they told me the story of what was going on in his life. And, man, I just, I was heartbroken. First thing I did was call his cell phone, and he didn't answer. Um, I left a message, and I said, man, I, man, I, just, I, I just want you to know I love you, I'm praying for you, but I'm under major conviction right now myself. I said, here's why. If What I understand is this has been going on a very long time. And that you didn't think I loved you enough that you could tell me what was going on. So maybe I could have helped you. And man, I just say, God ate my lunch. And I tried and tried and tried to call the guy. And he never would really even talk to me about it. But, but the truth of the matter is, the average person sitting here today, if there's something deep going on in your life, you feel like it's easier to cover it than confess it. And I want you to know that's not the heart of God. What you're doing, maybe, maybe somebody in here is, 
doing something at work that you know is going to cost you your job. Maybe you're doing something in your home that's going to cost you your family. And you think it's easier to cover it than confess it. And I want you to know God's bigger than all that. He loves you. And he's a God of grace. But here's the second problem. Not only have we lost sight of of true confession, we've lost sight of the cost of compromise. Here's what I mean by that. In the verse... In these verses it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily tangles us. That means sin that trips us up, okay? That means the sin that keeps coming up, that's tripping you up. Do what you got to do to destroy it. Um, And he says, let us run with perseverance. Here's the deal. When, When Satan gets involved in our life, when Satan gets involved, what he wants to do is, lo- help, is, is, is make us lose our ability to calculate the consequences of our sin. And if Satan can make us lose the ability to calculate the consequences of our sin, we'll find ourselves deep in sin, so deep that we can't even calculate the fact that God's grace is big enough to get me out of it. That's what Satan does. He brings so much confusion on the life of a believer is that he causes you to lose your ability to calculate the consequences of sin and then you're in it and you're like, how did I get here? Now I'm I'm busted, I'm exposed because the reality is most of the time we get into sin, there's no immediate consequences and so we get comfortable and we find ourselves getting deeper into that sin and we lose the ability to calculate the way to get out of it. And what Satan wants to convince you is, hey, dummy, you've messed up. And because you've messed up, nobody loves you. And nobody cares about you. You're better off just staying in it. And the whole time, the God of grace and mercy is saying, run. Come home. I'm here ready to lavish you with the grace of God. Run with perseverance. Don't look at what Satan's trying to distract. Don't look at the donut shop. Just keep running. (laughs) He says, strip off everything that entangles you and trips you up. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph was... You know, the one who was sold into slavery. He was the favored son who was sold into slavery. He was made a slave for so many years in, 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 in Potiphar's house. And, and he, was, he was beaten and bruised and abused. Life was unfair for Joseph, right? And, and, and one day, uh, Joseph gets uh, lifted up to a position of authority. And um, Potiphar's wife keeps flirting with Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but... But the reality is, everybody feels good when somebody says something nice about them. You know, I don't care who you are, we're all flesh. And, and, and when this woman, who she's Potiphar's wife, so she's got to be beautiful. Don't, don't fool yourself. She must be the prettiest woman in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the Bible says that she keeps flirting with him, keeps hitting on him. Well, Joseph has to like it. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 27 that Joseph goes to her house, and Potiphar wasn't there. Now, Joseph knows all about Potiphar's schedule. He must have known that Potiphar wasn't there. So he was enjoying the attention. 
But the Bible says that Joseph gets in the house and Potiphar's wife takes and rips his clothes from his body. And the Bible says that Joseph picked up his clothes and ran. The Bible never tells us he put them back on. That's the first time we hear about the streak. You know what I'm saying? Joseph streaked the kingdom that day, right? The Bible says he just took off running because Joseph had to make this decision. Would I rather bring shame to God and lay with this woman or bring shame to myself and just run? You see, the average person says, if I can get away with it, I would rather just bring shame to God than bring shame to myself and be exposed. You see, the picture there of Joseph was simply this. Joseph was right with God in an intimate relationship with God that he knew it was better for him to bring shame to himself than bring shame to God. You see, when we look at the life of Joseph, here's what happens. She lies about him. And she goes and tells them that Joseph tried to rape her. And she, she convinces people of that so much that Joseph gets placed back in the slavery pit. But later, Potiphar comes back and he says this to Joseph. I have saw so much in your life that I must believe you over my wife. I, nope, I, I don't know where I heard this. And, and I may have come up with it myself, but it don't sound good if I say I said it. So I always say my daddy said it so it makes it sound better. But, but I heard this one time. A life of integrity will outlast the lie of an idiot. Joseph lived such a life of integrity that the lie of the idiot went away. Because he lived for Jesus so much that they couldn't, wouldn't even believe Potiphar's wife. Listen, are you so focused on running this race with perseverance, running with integrity, that even when the world lies about you, and listen, I've been in ministry for many years. Every pastor I know has been lied about at some point in their life. I've been lied about. My dad's been lied about. Somebody even said the other day that they heard somebody at Jack say that, my dad had a brother that was an alcoholic. And because he was an alcoholic, he wouldn't have anything to do with him. Now, that'd be a pretty easy one to prove is a lie, right? You know what I'm saying? But, but people, a group of, you know, the old men crowd at Jack's, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> they believe it so much, they go and tell everybody that. You know, that's funny to me. But here's the reality is, a life of integrity will outlast the lie of an idiot. And when we walk with God, walk in such intimacy, the things that Satan wants to do to trip us up, stay focused. Because here's what he says. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know what that means? 
That means that, that he's the author, he's the originator. He is the one who gave you your faith. He's the one who placed it in you. No man comes to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. He is, he is the originator of your faith, that the Spirit of God drew you into repentance, and he offered you a chance for salvation. Oh, that's good. But anyway, he, he, he offers you that chance. He is the author of your faith. And then the Bible says he is the finisher of your faith. Here's, don't, don't miss this. In your life and in my life, we're going to face obstacles on this path we call life. Each obstacle, whether it's a death or a sickness or a job loss or whatever that is, we're going to face obstacles that our faith is going to be tested. But it's in those moments that the Bible says he is the finisher of our faith. We just had our upstairs bonus room finished. And, and you know what they had to do? The sheetrockers had to come in. You know what they had to do? Finish the sheetrock. You know what that means? They came in and they, they fixed it so that you couldn't see the cracks in the walls. You know what God does in us? You know, you know what God does in us? Is that God finishes us so that the weakness in us are fixed. But it happens through the obstacles that we face. But it's our choice that when that disease or that death or that job loss comes in our life, are we going to finish the race that God has set out before us? Are we going to quit on God? God, this is too hard. God, I can't deal with this. I quit. This is, this is too much. The reality is, it's in those moments that we decide is my faith in me or is my faith in God? And the reason why so many believers are falling out of the church today is because when those obstacles come, they don't allow God to finish their faith. They allow Satan to rock their faith. And lastly, and I'm done, we lose, we have lost sight of true confection, lost sight of the cost of compromise, and lastly, we lost sight of God's graceful choosing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking on down to about verse 3, it says, for the joy set before him. You know, you, know, you ever been around a pregnant woman? A pregnant, I watched a pregnant woman one time dip a pickle in mayonnaise. You know what I'm saying? A pregnant woman will do some crazy things. She knows that when she gets pregnant, her body's going to change in ways she never wanted to do before. You know what I'm saying? She's going to have hormones that she never, ever wanted to have before. She's going to feel a way that she never wanted to felt before. But she's so excited about getting that way, right? You know why? It's because the joy that's set before. Because one day she will be able to hold that child that brought on all the mood changes, all the craving changes, all the, you know, all that stuff. The child in the end becomes worth it. When the Bible says, for the joy set before him... When Christ was able to look at the cross and see it as joy, it's like a pregnant woman being able to look at pregnancy as joy because Christ could see past the cross to the day me and you came to repentance. Isn't that good? For the joy set before him endured the cause, disregarding shame. There's that word shame because here's the deal. When the Bible says take off everything on you that hinders you, you know what that's saying? is that we are to run naked. Now, that's not physical nakedness. That's spiritual. Nobody's expecting anybody in the church to jump up, take off running. Like, anyway. But anyway, it, the reality is what the Bible is saying here is that, is that spiritually speaking, 
if there's something in your life that's bringing shame before a holy God, confess it, make it right, wash it clean, and be right with God. But see, we have lost sight of the fact that God chose me. The Bible tells us that David danced naked before the Lord. And the Bible says he didn't even know that he was naked. And the reason why David said he didn't know, in 2 Samuel 6, 21, he says, he says, all I could think about was the fact that God chose me. I have a friend of mine who uh, is very special in my life. His name was Charles, and Charles passed away several years ago. But Charles led our music at our church, Kayla. I mean, he, he, when my dad became the pastor of Mount Zion, Charles was the worship leader. He couldn't sing a lick. I mean, he would get up there, and I mean, he, I'm telling you, he couldn't sing at all. And he would sing loud and very animated. But I always noticed that every time we sang the song, Victory in Jesus, he got even more animated. And I was always like, well, what's the deal? So one day we were at his house, and I asked Brother Charles. I said, Brother Charles, I always know you get very excited when the song... Victory in Jesus comes on. He said, there's the reason. He said, but see, when, he said, when I was a little boy, he said, I remember the Holy Spirit drawing me that I needed to get saved. He said, the whole time during the, the sermon, the preacher kept preaching right to me. He said, that's what I felt like. He said, and when they started the invitation, I was so nervous and so scared. He said, but the only thing I remembered when I walked down that aisle today, that day to give my life to Jesus is they were singing victory in Jesus. He said, and every time I hear that song now, he said, I'm just, he said I just can't get over the fact that God chose me. You know what the problem is in our churches today? We've gotten over the fact God chose you. We've gotten over the fact that God loves you and has given you life. I, that, that song, I heard an old, old story, how our Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Think, oh, victory in Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the race, brother. When you run the race and you finish well, that's when we know victory. My son was run track one year, and he's like me. He don't really like to run that much either. But he run track one year. And I remember they had to go run this, I don't know, mile race or whatever it was. And I remember him, he was running hard, hard, hard. And he got to that last lap, and I saw it. Boy, he, he looked like death had came to, you know what I'm saying? He just, he, you could just see that look on his face like, I can't finish. I can't finish. And so, you know, I told him, I said, buddy, it ain't about, before he started, I said, it ain't about what place you finish, but it is about finishing. I just want you to finish, okay? Just, just make sure you finish. Man, I watched him as he began to make that last lap. And I thought, uh-oh, he's not going to make it. And I began to walk across that field. And I began to meet him about halfway. And I began to go, you got it, buddy. Come on. Just finish. Finish strong. Just give it all you got. You ain't got far. Just keep going. It won't be long. Just keep going. And in the middle of me saying that, the Spirit of God began to say to me, you ain't got long. Just keep running. Finish well. I don't know where you are in your life today. And I don't know how close you are to quitting. And I don't know if you're one of those, who, man, you don't understand what it means that God chose you. 
And you need to come today to, under, to get a hold of God's salvation on your life. Or maybe you're the person that's sitting here and you're just about to quit. You're about to walk out on family or a job. You're, you're in the midst of a job where you've, you've probably taken some money that you didn't know you didn't, you knew you shouldn't have took. And now, you, because you couldn't calculate the consequences, and now you're in a mess and you don't know how to get out of it. And you're Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and finish well. No matter who you are today, where you are in your life, God's grace is ready for you. Let's pray. Father, I beg you just to move in the hearts and lives of people. God, I pray that people's hearts have been challenged by your word, and Lord Jesus, that God, your spirit has freedom to move in this place and there's no hindrances and nothing standing in the way of someone coming to know you. And Lord, I pray that right now as we begin to worship, we begin to sing, that people respond to what your voice is calling. God, if that's salvation or if that's surrender or if that's confession, if that's repentance, if that's just to recommit their life before you, Lord, I pray that they have the freedom do that right now. In your sweet name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just stand to your feet and let's worship.